Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. God, you are the God who tests our faith. And you don't do it for any other reason than you want us to know how real you are, how deep your love is for us, how much you care. We've been in the series Groundswell, Lord, and uh, as we continue in it, would you open our hearts? We, we say it. We sang it. Here's our heart. Speak what is true. Here's our heart. Speak what is true. So, Lord, we love you. We give you permission to speak to us today. Amen. All right. So we've been in this series called Groundswell, and we've been looking at the Gospel of John. And really asking the question is, what would it look like to allow God to speak to our hearts? Not in theory, not in abstraction, not FaceTime, but face-to-face. What would it look like for his presence to be here as we worship and to speak to you? And we've had these tremendous moments, tremendous Sundays and experiences and encounters with God. Last week in John chapter 15, we looked at the imagery of the vine and the branches. And we talked about what does it mean to abide in Jesus? It was this beautiful description Jesus offers of what it looks like to be friends with God, to live a life of daily groundswell. And we're still, when you read John's gospel, uh, chapters like 13 and 14 through 17 are very long discourses of where Jesus is just talking. So we're in chapter 16 today where Jesus is still talking about what it looks like to live in daily groundswell with God what it looks like to be an intimate friend every day, every moment with the one who made all that is. And so we're going to read John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. That's what we read. Jesus is talking. He says, Now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Everything that has been said everything that has happened in this Groundswell series, every encounter that you've had with God and what that may be, has been because of this passage. Because 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish man named Jesus who lived in a very small geographical region, did tremendous things that really caused ripples and rumors that spread all across the world, left the world. According to his first followers, they said he was resurrected from the dead, And his first followers had encounters with some mysterious presence of God that they said was his spirit. And now it's spread all across the world. 
So any encounter that you've had with God has been because of this passage. Because the, the Holy Spirit is the current that grows the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. My Father is the vine grower. He's the one who wills the vine to exist. But the life that gives the vine growth, that leads the vine to continue um, flourishing and bearing fruit, is my spirit, the advocate, the spirit of truth, as he says. Now, people find the Holy Spirit mysterious, and I, I understand why. It, it is. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the presence of God is unbelievably mysterious. And yet, I would argue that the first introduction to God people get, whether you would call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, the first introduction you get to God is through his Spirit. It is that mystery which can manifest itself in so many different ways. So for example, if you've ever had a moment of transcendent beauty, like if you've ever been walking on the beach at sunrise and you see the sun come up and something just stops you, you know what I mean? Something stops you and you almost have this outer body experience of like, it is far, the world is infused with beauty, more beautiful than I could ever see. That transcendent beauty that is something that is calling you to a greater source, calling you beyond to God. Or maybe you've had a moment of euphoric joy. Maybe you've had a moment where you're eating together with good friends and the laughter's flowing and then you have that outer body experience where time stands still. And you're like, this is what life is all about. Or perhaps you've seen some act of injustice and it's filled your heart with this deep and certain sense that that is not right. That is not fair. There's an imbalance. People are being hurt. All of these experiences are the faces of the Holy Spirit that is pulling out our hearts into the vine of God, into the vine of Jesus. And if we will allow our hearts, if we say, here's my heart, speak what is true, and allow the, the moments of transcendent beauty or euphoric joy or sense of justice to, to lead us. Do you know where we're going to end up? We are going to end up at Jesus, at the cross. The first introduction we get to God's deep and reckless pursuit of us is through the Holy Spirit. And the process that we're in of daily groundswell is, is as Jeremiah said, he is removing our hearts of stone and replacing them with hearts of flesh. We are all dull. We all, we have those moments and then they fade because we have hearts of stone. And he's removing them the more we enter into those moments, the more we trust God in those moments and replacing them with softer hearts to see and to experience his subtle promptings, his subtle movements. Joan Didion describes uh, in the book, in her book, The Year of Magical Living, which she wrote the year after her, her husband died of a sudden heart attack, uh, that she does not believe in God. There is life and there is death. And yet, as she tells the story, she cannot make sense of why it is that we rage to live. What is it within us that refuses to not exist and that rejects that, especially if death and life are equally balanced? So her husband died of a sudden heart attack, and, and as she tells in the story, a night or two before he died, he was sitting at his desk, and he had just finished a book. They were both authors, and he just finished one of his books and sent it off to print, and he asked her, he said, do you realize how many characters have died in the novel I just finished? 
He had been writing the list down on a sheet of paper and pencil. A month after his death, she found the list and she remembered the conversation. And what she couldn't get over was that was a transcendent moment for her husband. He had had an outer body experience of, wow, there's a lot of death in this latest book I wrote. Why is that? And she asked, did he already know that his death was imminent? And moreover, she says, when she looked at the list, the pencil was so unbelievably faint. And she recognizes, as we all do, that pencil doesn't remain. But after a month, it was as if it wasn't even there. It was as if someone came behind him and erased all the names of the characters who died. But not quite. There was still a faint existence. So she writes, I did not believe in the resurrection of the body, but I still believe that given the right circumstances, he would come back. He who left the faint traces before he died, the number three pencil. For Didion, who's not a Christian, a spirit of life, of connection, is easier to access, even if she is unsure of its implications. And you may be sitting in the room and you're like, well, her, her brain's just trying to make sense of grief. Perhaps, the question I have is, why do our brains deeply desire love and find grief, sadness, pain, and death unnatural to the human experience? Why do we rage against death as being so unnatural if it is just as normal as life? Unless it's true that life is deeper than death and death is but an aberration upon life. These are the moments where the Holy Spirit is starting to woo Didion, where the Spirit of God is starting to awaken other possibilities of what's in this world. Christian Wyman, who's a, a Christian poet at Yale, he describes a very similar experience. His friend, who's an atheist, uh, she described that, that she loves pleasure. She seeks out pleasure all the time. She hates joy. She hates it. And why, when, when he asked her, why do you hate joy? He said, she said, joy destabilizes me. Joy emerges in her life without a pattern. Life could be great, and she has this moment, this outer body experience of joy. Life could be terribly hard and difficult, and still she'll have this outer body experience of joy, and she doesn't know what to do with joy. It has no logical referent. It doesn't make sense. It points to a beyond, perhaps like a faint pencil. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to pause here, and I don't know who you are in this room, but if I can sort of sum up the gospel for you, here's what I want to tell you. God is after you. He's after you. And he doesn't sleep, so you're in trouble. <laughs> Eugene Peterson, um, a very famous and beloved pastor, um, he died recently, last year. Uh, he's the guy who did the translation for the message. And uh, when he died, his sons, and this is always a sign that you know someone is real when their, their children get up to speak about them and they just can't hold it together. You can tell they love him so much. And one of his sons said something along the lines of wrote a poem for his dad. And he said um, that Eugene, he tricked the world. He, he made the world seem that like he was given a lot of these new original sermons, but he wasn't. He was preaching the same sermon every single time. And he said it was the exact same sermon that his dad would sneak into his room when he was a boy. And even after he'd become a man, he would sneak into his room and he would whisper it into his ear. And the sermon is this. God is after you. God loves you. He will not stop. 
he is relentless. You want to know what the Holy Spirit does? He puts flesh to that. God is after you. He loves you. He will not stop. He is relentless. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you've seen the Holy Spirit, says Jesus in this passage, even if you couldn't name it, even if you refused it or you feared it, some element of that proved true, some element of that transcendence. And so as Jesus sort of speaks to those of us in the room who acknowledge that the presence of God is real, the Spirit of God is after us and wants to know what is it? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit dwells in me and leads me into a life of groundswell? And there's a simple word he uses that I think gets at this process. The word is alegko in the Greek. So he says, when the advocate comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The, word, the translation prove the world wrong is alegko, which means to expose by shining light. So the work of the Holy Spirit is like light piercing clouds, piercing through the gray and illuminating things, exposing us, exposing us to true reality, exposing us for a moment in those outer body experiences to the truth of the world, to God. That's what Wyman's friend feared. Those moments of joy were moments of Alegco, were moments where the clarity of some beyond, the reality of the cosmos, of this God who is love, showed up and it terrified her. It was light shining in and it was blinding and terrifying. Didion saw the same. But if we will not turn away, but turn into these moments of transcendence and light, if we will allow God's spirit to shine on us, what will be revealed to us is a way forward. And the end of that road is Jesus's reality, which could be summed up with pure God consciousness. Jesus lived a life entirely 100% in the light of God. He possessed pure God consciousness. So if we'll allow the painful work of the Holy Spirit's light, then what he's promising is that he will retether us to God, retether us to love. The light shines in. The light of God's Spirit shines and then exposes. And when it exposes, it exposes three main things. It reveals sin, it reminds us of righteousness, and it reckons judgment in that order. Jesus said this. He says the Holy Spirit will reveal sin because they have not trusted in me. Sin is a, it's a biblical word, but it basically means, when we talk about the heart of stone versus the heart of flesh, sin are those, those blockages in our hearts, those stone hard places, that, that scar tissue in our hearts, then our spiritual beings that forbid, that hinder, that do not allow God's love, God's light in. It could be unkind words. It could be decisions we make. Unkind words, envious hearts, acts of violence, swelling of pride in some aspect of our life or, or, or our story or identity that therefore separates us from God because we think this is more important than God's love. It could be trauma. It could be stuff that you haven't done but that's been done to you. Moments of trauma you experience when you gave someone your heart and it was abused and now it's created this stoniness that you're not going to give someone else your heart. 
That could be, those are all sort of ways of describing the concept of sin. It's a falling short of the ideal. And the ideal is a pure, 100% open relationship with God. Pure God consciousness. Anything that is hardened within us, that is hindering love's complete presence in you. And often the light shines in and reveals it, and it's not what you thought it was. So early on in this series, I had a conversation with a guy, and uh, he was telling me about what was going on in his life, and he was asking for prayer. And I was listening to him, but I was also, just so you know, if you ever come and ask me for prayer, I'm going to listen to you, but I'm also going to listen to God at the same time. So I'm like, he's telling me what's going on, and I'm asking God, God, what are you saying about him? What do you want to say to him? And I felt like God bring to mind something that had nothing to do with what he was saying. <laughs> so he finishes, and then I say, hey, man, that's great. What do you think about this? And long story short, it proved to be exactly what the, the hardness was that was blocking love from flowing. We met up recently, and basically he was like, his life is on a different trajectory right now. That's the point. That these are these, are these elements. When it says the light reveals sin, it reveals to you, and it's often not what you think. It reveals to you narratives and traumas and, and situations and decisions and all sorts of things that are deep within you that are hindering the light from fully shining in. It's exposed. So being friends with Jesus is constantly asking God to reveal to you those places in your heart or life that hinder love. Reveal sin. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is reminds us of righteousness. Because Jesus says, I am going to the Father and I will be seen no more. Righteousness is one of those words that has really been translated poorly by how the church has lived. Because we often think of righteousness like self-righteousness, don't we? And someone who is self-righteous is someone who feels that in themselves they are really good and moral and pious and those people over there are not that. It's an individual thing. But in the biblical sense, that's not righteousness. Righteousness is relational, actually. Righteousness in the biblical sense is not self-piety, but having the right kind of relationships. So I'm not righteous if I live a certain way or, or behave or misbehave. I'm righteous if I relate a certain way. And first and foremost, says Jesus, relate in perfect life-giving love with me. So the Holy Spirit reminds us and the world after he reveals our sin, reveals those places that are blocking a right relationship, then he says, hey, your righteousness is not based on anything you can do or not do or your relationship. Your righteousness is based on Jesus. That's the entry point to right relationship with God. So what he does is he reminds us of Jesus' story. And the continual telling of it, living by it, focusing on it, is the basis of our righteousness. As we said last week, God did not love us because we were lovable. God loved us because he is love. So the Holy Spirit reminds us at every step, whether you feel successful or feel like a failure, after revealing your sin that is blocking joy and hope and love, that the source, the answer to that the source of the right relationship with God will come through Jesus and who he is. Will come through you being found and loved by him always. So the Holy Spirit reveals my sin. And then he reminds me of my righteousness, which is not mine, but it's through Jesus. 
and it's through relationship with him. But then according to Jesus' earliest followers, after Jesus was killed, he didn't stay dead. He was actually resurrected. So now because Jesus was resurrected, because the light of God entered into the darkest place, death, and defeated it, rendered it powerless, because the love of God entered into the most loveless place, death, and defeated it, rendered it powerless. Therefore, God's love and light now has power over every aspect of the cosmos. So once the Holy Spirit reveals sin, reminds us of our righteousness, that it's in Jesus' story, then the Holy Spirit reckons judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And we sort of get the first two, right? We understand, even if it's hard, we understand how those work, that God reveal things in me that are not leading me to love him and be loved by him. And then remind me that my righteousness is not in myself, but is in my relationship with Jesus and him alone. But here's where we have to grow. Because basically what Jesus is saying is that now because he's raised from the dead, now because that love has conquered death, now that the spirit of God is given to us, we are tapped into real life. We are living flames of God's power who bring light to the world that still exists in darkness to one degree or another. So we, we reckon judgment not through just words, but through works of power. Trusting that the forces of destruction and decay and death and all their variations do not have the final word because God's spirit dwells in us. God is slowly possessing more of us and the prince of this world, whose greatest weapon is death, stands condemned, stands defeated. He has no power. So for those of us who are in Christ, he has no power over us. We get to start to taste what it's like to live like Jesus, to have a pure God consciousness. So the spirit of knowledge and wisdom and truth and joy in this world lives in me, speaks to me, reveals to me blockages of my intimacy. And then reminds me of who this Jesus is. And then he reckons judgment on those blockages of intimacy because they have no more power over me. So this life of faith, Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, this life of faith is simply, and this life of friendship is simply coming into the light. That's all it is. And I know we're terrified about that because there are some things we don't even want to look in our own hearts. But the more we come into it, the more we reveal those blockages, offer them up to him, relate with him, receive his love, then we actually have the power to reckon judgment on those things, to reckon judgment and to step more into the new creation. You don't have to walk bound by addiction anymore. You don't have to walk bound by shame. It doesn't have power over you. You don't have to walk bound by fear or trauma. You don't have to be held back from an abundant life and love. If you are in Christ, as Paul tells us, abiding in him, then the spirit of God is at work in you to pass judgment on those forces that keep you apart from him. And I know it's not as easy as saying, just believe. That's not how it works. I get that. That there's a lot packed into trust. There's a lot packed into offering your heart to someone else again and saying, are you going to abuse us? It's been abused before. What are you going to do, God? That's a process. I get that. But I also want to tell you the truth. 
is that those things that are holding you back from an abundant life with him, they have no power over you anymore, according to the gospel. They don't. They don't. So if you're willing to take the step in this community and offer those things to God, you're actually going to see the light of his Holy Spirit enter in, reveal, remind you of your love and value, and then start passing judgment on those things. Not on you, on those things, on the prince of this world who keeps you back from true relationship with God. The old is gone. The new has come for those in Christ. So the process of the Holy Spirit is to let the light all the way in and then let the light all the way out. And so what we like to do at Hope Brooklyn, um, usually once a month, we've gotten away from it for a period, but we want to get back into the habit, is uh, on one Sunday a month, having someone from our community come up and share a little bit of their story, of an element of how they've seen God at work in their life, so as to bring us to the table, to remind us at this table where all three of those things happen, where we're revealed of our sin, we're reminded of Jesus's love for us that we do not deserve, and where Jesus passes judgment on the prince of this world who holds us back from him. So we're going to have someone come forward, share a little of their story of how all three of these things have been happening through God's work uh, in her life, and, uh, and then we're going to come to the table together. So I'm going to welcome Sarah Moy. Would y'all give it up for Sarah? She's going to share, and then we're going to take communion. Hi, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah, and my husband Evan and I have been coming to Hope for about a year and a half now. It has been on my heart to share this part of my story with all of you for a while now, but I've only recently gotten enough courage to do so. Something that a lot of people don't know about me is that I have major depressive disorder. Everyone who suffers from depression has a different experience, but I can tell you that any form of depression is filled with pain. For me, that pain surpassed words. A quote that I found to be a better description than most is this. People think depression is being sad, but it is more like walking on broken glass. Every breath hurts. For me, the depths of suffering I endured in my depressive episodes eventually led me to want to take my own life. I can never understand or possibly describe to you the despair that caused me to believe that suicide was the only option, the only way, the only hope to end the relentless suffering. Those are the times in my life when I felt that God was completely absent from my world. I can definitely share more about my story and how I came to be here, but that should probably be for another time because it's a much longer story that is not simple and does not have a neat, tidy ending. What I can tell you is that I have not experienced a depressive episode in over seven years. I've been doing well on antidepressant medication and probably will be on it indefinitely due to the severity of my episodes. Over the years, I have experienced repeated cycles of anger, shame, and fear. But the God of the Bible never wanted me to stay in those prisons. Part of my suffering, though I may never understand why it had to be that horrific, has helped me to know on a deeper level the God who suffers with us and for us. The pastor Tim Keller said, 
Jesus did not suffer so that we won't have to anymore. He suffered so that when we suffer, we would become like him. And because of what I went through, I feel that I can identify with our Savior who suffered in a way that I never had before. Jesus has been working in my life to free me from my shame and anger, but that does not mean they are completely gone. I still have fears, real fears, that I will have another episode, that I will become that person I do not recognize again, that I will want to kill myself again. But that is not something I have control over. Truly, I have felt God lead me a day at a time, inviting me to lay my fears at his feet and trust him. Some days I have no choice but to cling desperately to and trust in the one who promises never to leave or forsake me. The one who has suffered more than any human ever has or ever will to give us life in him. Over the past six months, I have been blessed to have an amazing counselor that has helped me to be able to talk about my disorder. Before that, it was very rare for me to be able to talk about those times in detail without just falling apart. She has expertly helped me to be able to go back into those memories and deal with them as trauma. I had never seen it as trauma before, but that is truly what my depressive episodes have been for me. And only in seeing them as they are can I really begin to heal. I know that God is the one who pulled me away from the edge of that darkness, that gave me my incredible family that would not let me give up when I was barely holding on, that provided me with medicine to help the serotonin imbalance in my brain, that graciously gave me the space to walk away from him so that when I came back, I would know that his power and love in my life were undeniably real. I wanted to share this with my church family here to help take away the stigma that mental illness may have in the church, to tell anyone who is suffering with a mood disorder that they are not alone, and to share the encouragement I have received from our amazing Heavenly Father. I hope that as a family we can share our greatest burdens with each other, because in Christ there is no shame. God has placed us here together so that when others see how we love one another, they would know we belong to him. They would know that the gospel tears down the lies and shame that keep us hidden from one another and from God. And he is a God who heals. A verse that has given me incredible strength and hope is from Romans. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If anyone wants to talk to me about anything I've said today, I would be more than happy to. Thank you so much for listening. I want to invite the band back up here. And if you're serving communion, would you go ahead and come forward? The Holy Spirit just shared through Sarah to those in this room. Light has gone out. Revealing the blockages of intimacy between you and God and you and one another, such as shame, such as fear, such as trauma. Reminding us of our righteousness, that it's not in us, 
It's because Jesus suffered with us. God has come and he has joined us amazingly, unimaginably, in the worst suffering that we can experience in our lives. He's there. God's there with you. And then beginning through this people, the slow process of reckoning judgment on the forces that keep us separate from one another until the day where there will be no shame and no fear and no depression that hinders love in its full expression in every heart on the day when Jesus Christ will be all in all. That's the invitation of this table. The invitation is that we can start that process. Jesus has already won the victory. We can join into the relationship that starts the transformation. So a couple notes before we come to the table. And if you're serving, you can go ahead and grab it. We're going to have four stations, two in the front and two in the back. Go to whichever one is closest to you. Parents, if you'd like to include your kids in the process to see how it's modeled, you can go upstairs and check them out and then come back forward. Um, when you take the, the cracker, it's vegan and gluten-free. So if you want to participate, hopefully everyone can participate in the room. Just take it, dip it into the cup. You can receive immediately or go back to your seat and pray. And last but not least, we say that the table is the symbol of our heart's confession offered up to God. That Jesus alone is the light of the world who shines into us, shines into the dark places, and tells us the truth of God. He loves us. He is coming after us. He is relentless. And is open to everyone in this room. Wherever you are today, if you want to receive, it's open to you. Absolutely free of cost. So would we come and receive as a family? Hey, Hope Brooklyn. Darren here, your fellow Hope Brooklynite. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're part of the community, you're aware that we've been exploring the topic of generosity and stewardship. Each week, we offer a thought to reflect on as we prepare to enter 2020, relying completely on your generosity. So have a listen to what we discussed this last Sunday, and we'll see you around the table soon. Welcome, everybody, to our second fireside chat. Uh, as you know, we have Dave with us today. Yeah! <laughs> Can I get a yeah? Yeah. yeah. All right, all right. Unmistakably Dave Santos. So... Dave, why don't we just start by you telling us a little bit about your, yourself. You know, where did you grow up? How did you grow up? All right. Well, as you guys know, this Dave that uh, screams up in the front, you know, with excitement for, for, for God, but you don't know the growing up Dave. Closer. Grew up uh, grew up poor, grew up uh, wealth, on welfare, food stamps, uh, um, single mom, three brothers in a house. Uh, I don't know the biological uh, male donor that uh, contributed to my existence. I wouldn't even give him the credit of, of titling him. Um, uh, plenty of nights going to bed hungry because there was no money for food. Um, sleeping in the dark because the lights got cut. We couldn't afford light or getting heat from the oven because, you know, we, we lived in a broken home. Or coming home from school, finding a padlock on my door because we got evicted because we couldn't pay the rent. Um, they don't know that angry, anxious, fearful, New York state of mind, grind, survival of the fittest, Jose. How, um, where did this all happen? Where, where was this? Born and raised here in Brooklyn, okay. um, Sunset Park, various areas, uh, constantly moving around because mm -hmm. that's just the way it was. We couldn't afford, so we shack up wherever we could. So 
we feel the stress, um, the financial stress of your family. Um, so, but I think what we see now is the final product, right? You know, I, basically you've been a rock at this church. You're on the council, which is kind of like the board of directors. Um, and we see you here every Sunday and you're giving, uh, you've got a great job. Um, you know, how did you get that job? What changed? What, what, what brought you from food, hand to mouth to something where you were actually able to give something? How'd that happen? Um, there was a situation in my life where that, that just paradigm shift, right? We all fear. I have my own fears as well growing up. You know, well, didn't have... You, you can't walk away from that. What paradigm shifted? What happened? All right. So here's what happened. Um, somehow, mysteriously, my girlfriend got pregnant. You know, I don't know how that happened. But um, <laughs> due to that situation, right, I had a man up real quickly. Right. Because growing up in a welfare mentality and a generational sin, I didn't want to repeat that into my family. I didn't want to. I didn't want to raise a family under the same conditions I was so, raised. So either it was immaculate conception the second time, or you did it. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. That one. Okay. I'll own it. I'll own it. Right? <laughs> Probably a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, fear. Right. Fear is real. Fear paralyzes. Fear. If you didn't what, have. What were you up, afraid of? Yeah, so, I was afraid so of not your being girlfriend able to provide, pregnant. Right. And not then, being able to provide. I didn't have a job. Didn't have insurance. Didn't have a place to live. I. I, I was rooming. I had a room inside of an apartment. Um, so I had to. I had to trust something. Right. Mm -hmm. And I trust God. I literally. Just looked up to God, said a prayer. If you will help me, I promise to follow you. We've all said that prayer at some stage of our life. I was up against the wall, rocking a hard place, looked up, he met me. And since that day, 30 years later, um, so, here so, I am. So what happened? You, you, you entrusted God. You, you made a pledge to God to say, help me. Um, I'm so, going to step forward in faith. And then what happened? So he trusted me before I trusted him, right? Sure. So he entrusted me with a, a friend great, of mine. Great from theology, Bear. great theology. <laughs> he, um, a friend of mine tell, tells me about some job interview, and um, I wasn't even prepared. Didn't have a haircut, beard down here. He loaned me a suit. I had tube socks. I wore my, my black sneakers. Went to this job interview. Got you had, the you job. had white socks and black sneakers? I had black suit in the middle of July at that. It was a wool okay. suit. It was hot. Um, I had tube socks. Huh? That's right. And um, yet and still, God met me, got the job, uh, worked in the mailroom of Goldman Sachs. Um, and uh, real time, here I am almost 30 years later at Goldman, VP for seven years. I make good money. I won't say a lot because then they might borrow from me. You know what I mean? So I just keep it me. But um, God has provided. And it's because I took a step of faith in trusting him. How can I now withhold anything from him when he's brought me this far? Right, 29 years at Goldman, seven years of VP, uh, GD, yes, no I, college. Actually, if, if I'm going to keep it 100 with you, someone else took my GED exam for me, so I didn't even pass that class. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that, I'm just keeping it honest, all right? So all right. I have well, I, somebody else took my exam. No, that's for real. That's for real. Yeah, we, my we wife. should delete right that there. part from the recording. Yeah, no, 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 uh, no college, no certifications, just. Just a passion, a faith in God that with God for you, nothing can be against you. Mm. He'll make a way out of no way whatsoever. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Like these were my, these were my schooling. This was my training. This was my school of hard knocks. Mm. And uh, that step of faith is what initiated it all. So, and he has, he has been faithful. Amen. So tell us, tell us now, you know, there, all of us here are at different stages. Some of us are struggling to give for the first time and it's hard, right? Some of us are recurring um, and, or thinking about becoming recurring, but that's hard. 
and some of us have been recurring for a while, and maybe we should give a lot more than 10%. So what would you say to any of us? How would you encourage us? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is that it's impossible to encapsulate 30 years worth of, of what I've experienced with God. Come see me at the table. Let's talk. And I, I'm willing to pray with you, fast with you, even coach you on trusting God in this area. If you've never tied before, I, you ever have that type of faith in somebody that you can vouch for them even if they're not in the room? Like, no, he's good for it. I know God will meet you. Mm. I have faith like that in God that if you would dare to believe, and this is the only area in the Bible he says, trust them and see if he won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that will overfill your cup, not just give you enough, more than enough. I dare you to believe. Take a step of faith. Trust in him. I guarantee you he's not going to fail you. And that's for those who and, are struggling with the concept. And how should we take a first step? By giving. Literally, put your money where your mouth is. Literally, make a, make a vow before God that I'm going to uh, honor you, your word, with the giving of this amount and trust that you will meet me and that because you will meet me, it's gonna encourage me to wanna to continue to give. And here I am 30 years later and I withhold nothing from God because I was taught from a very young age, who can outgive the Lord? No one can. And to those of you who are seasoned, more veteran, been in the game for a minute, I would say take an ownership. I feel like this is my father's house. You understand? This is my, in my house, don't nobody have to remind me to pick up milk and eggs and bring it home. It's my house. I provide for my home. This is my father's house. We own it. We should be carrying this on our back. We don't look at how much it costs. I don't ask my kids, I can't do that for you because it costs that much. I do it. I believe God. God pays for what he orders. He will never leave us stranded. So I would dare you to more than just give, you know, the reoccurring, but Find out what is the need and take ownership of your house. This is your father's house. Represent it. All right. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> Can I get a yeah? yeah? All right. If Stephanie and Serena ask you for a new car, you know, uh, later on today, you'll know why. Actually, right? they, they, um, I'm so grateful that they've witnessed us doing it. That's why they now tithe on their own. Not forced by us. This is something that our kids doing. And I'm glad that my kids don't got a welfare mentality, but instead that they trust God. They, they, they trust their father. They trust their father's father. Yeah. They know that their father in heaven is the one that's providing their father to provide for them. They Thank know you. that. You can ask them at the table. David, your faith today through him has increased our faith. Thank you very much. Amen. Will you all join me in thanking David? To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week. <laughs>